part that has always been a cornerstone for us um, is to make sure that everybody across the company gets to a chance to engage with customers. And so I, I've been far, uh, far too often part of the process where we all sat in a room and we did a whole bunch of whiteboarding with the additional PhDs and like, this would be great. And then you go and you launch it out in the market and you're like, no, it was not great whatsoever. <laughs> um, and so it's extraordinarily important to get that feedback early so you can self-correct. Otherwise, you know that you're never going to build something that people will use. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools, helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Welcome, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with another episode of the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity, the, the fun, really, to talk to different business entrepreneurs, business leaders, because as we've heard over, over time here, that many of the themes, many of the, the issues that we run into in growing and scaling a business are similar but everybody kind of comes at them with their, their own unique approach or their own unique story. So today we've got um, a little bit different guests, a little bit different interest industry than we've done with before, but I've got David Norman here and it's, uh, I believe it's pronounced arrived. I should have checked with you on that one, David, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, arrived spelled with a Y instead of an I, but out of Boulder, Colorado. So welcome, David. Thank you for, for taking a few minutes out of your day here to, I guess, start of your day really here to, to talk with us and share a little bit of your wisdom here that you've gained over the time. Thank you very much, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit more about the company, kind of how you, how you got into this. Well, so I have a pretty diverse background in regards to uh, payments before I had even kind of started, uh, arrived. And really a lot of it was born out of a nexus out of uh, two passions, uh, engineering and beer. Uh, I enjoy uh, one of our local breweries. Uh, we had a great partnership in my prior company with over numerous years. And so we were sitting on the patio when they moved into their new location and they uh, really they were struggling with their point of sale. Um, they, I had heard regulars who had been there for years and years and years go, well, if I can't get served, it's, I'm going to go somewhere else. And it was kind of heartbreaking to me, but being an engineer, you kind of observe and you see, and you say, well, I think there's a, a technical solution we can probably be able to apply to this. And so we were going to build a, a table side app, which now seems apropos, <laughs> but back at that point in time, it's really a, a long slog to change consumer behavior to get to that point. Um, we had set out to build it. Uh, we were probably pretty close to uh, launch. We were about left in a month and they kind of pulled us aside and said, we'd rather you build a point of sale, to which it said no, <laughs> because uh, point of sale has always been, had a certain connotation and a race to the bottom, but we feel, felt if we were going to do it, we wanted to do it with our spin. So uh, thankfully we made that pivot and uh, things have been great ever since. When you build something that people really like, word of mouth carries you really, really far. And we've been the beneficiary of a lot of that. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely the case. So curious there. So were you always the the entrepreneurial kind of type? Were you the the whatever the the Boy Scout or whatever selling? I guess co didn't sell cookies, but still whatever they did, kind of thing growing up. Or were you is this accidental entrepreneur? I wouldn't say it was accidental. I was very fortunate in my career to have been given the reins to build eight different teams, but I always did it on somebody else's dime. So. Um, 
it felt like a progression that finally reached to this point. Um, naturally, I feel very fondly about this one, but probably because it's my dime instead of somebody else's. But at least I had the learning experiences under somebody else's tutelage to be able to get to that point. And really, it was just a, a, an issue of harnessing and finding the right idea. And I had some really good friends and some good mentors along the way that kind of coached to say, yeah, if you've got the idea, you should probably go out and do it. Naturally, being a little conservative by nature was going, well, maybe I'm not ready to rock the boat kind of like that. But eventually, you know, leave the confines of a nice, comforting job and go and try at least once. Yeah. So was it the the immediate transition of, OK, we're going to quit the job and go start something new? Or was this kind of the, the sideline project that has grown? Or how was your transition there? Because that's that's always one that people struggle with, especially on the entrepreneurial side. It's like, OK, when do I quit the J. Dobbs? When's the when's the new venture strong enough to carry me, et cetera? And making that transition is tough. Well, uh, to be quite honest, I had one in between. Uh, I partnered with somebody else that did not go very well. Um, and I was thinking I was going to go back to my old gig at that point before somebody had talked to me into, no, why don't you try to do it on your own and not have somebody else? Um, and I think that that was probably the inspirational piece. I'd already made the leap and said, I was, you know, somebody else who's been around the block and who started a company, it'd be great to be able to partner with them to be able to find something. And it just didn't work out. Um, so thankfully, I had my failure still on it still cost me a little bit, but <laughs> on somebody else's dime, even for that one. And so that kind of propelled me into this. So I was very lucky. I kind of oftentimes refer myself as the Forrest Gump of technology. It feels like it's always the right place, right time. You never know. <laughs> well, there's there's definitely some luck in, in building business, but at the same time, it's a lot of lessons learned kind of a thing, like you're saying, of, of getting that point. But yeah, I've always seen people will say, yeah, I have a partner or something like that. And that's when it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, it's a disaster. And there's very few in between kind of a thing that I've seen that I've, I've dealt with a number of those that it's just, you got to be really pretty equally yoked there in terms of skill set, in terms of expertise of complementing each other, things like that. Cause it can be, it can be a challenge. It's, it's, you're, you're effectively getting married to somebody right there. I was sitting there having to live with it, work with it kind of a thing. And if, if it's not set up right, it's, it's, it can be fun. <laughs> yeah. that, that's one way to put it. But it, it is also interesting because when I went back to decide that I was going to do my own thing, um, I had a great co-founder um, and I had a great network of people that have joined me from uh, our prior life that allows me the opportunity to be able to do what we do at, at our scale and compete against the big boys in regards to it. And so a lot of it really boils down to surrounding yourself with really, really good, capable people and treating them like partners as well. You want to give them the level of ownership to the product and projects and, and thought leadership as well, which really helps to get you to where you're at, because we wouldn't be here five years later uh, as successful as we've ended up without having a lot of other people that came along for the ride too. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's business is very rarely, especially at that size or that growth, it's very rarely just the CEO, just the owner kind of a thing there. And the faster, honestly, the faster you can figure that out, the faster you'll grow kind of a thing. So if you, if you try to keep it on yourself, then I, I find those business owners are basically strangling their own company kind of a thing there. It's got to be more than you. Yeah. And I think that there was, there's an awful lot of companies out there that provide valuation services for um, companies like ours uh, that are tech companies or SMBs or anything like that, that are trying to propel themselves into this space. And that's the number one thing that they talk about is that if everything is really on the back of one individual, um, that really lowers the valuation of the company. And it, it stuck with me a little bit, not so much in regards to making sure that the company is well-valued. It's more along the lines of, 
there's a, a secret sauce, so to say, in regards to that, that creates successful companies. And that's really what creates that value. Yeah, no, it's, it's always, because if nothing else, you want to be able to take a vacation or something like that and, and expect that the company is going to keep running for a, for a week or two right there kind of thing. You don't, you don't want it to all be, all be tied up in your head. And it's, it's really, to me, that's the biggest shift from the, the growth startup or the startup side up to a growth is to say, hey, we're actually moving beyond our core group of four or five people and we're always talking to each other, et cetera, to now we actually have teams and structure and stuff like that. So I'm curious, you said that you had a pulled in a lot of resources, a lot of people from previous life, previous uh, work experience, stuff like that. Are you still tapping that pool for resources or have you gotten to the point where it's like, okay, we've got to go outside of somebody we've already got a long history with to, for new hire and new growth? Now it's a balance. Um, there's certainly some pieces that uh, levels of trust and already established technical talent, especially when you're hiring engineers, um, that it, it's a little easier to be able to tap. But now it definitely is a mix because you want outside views. You want to be able to bring people that are from outside the network who are going to uh, enhance your product from a different perspective as well. Given the fact that our product is in so many people's hands, uh, I think we have now a distribution base of about 10,000 devices. So that means 10,000 different users that are using it. Those are all vastly different people from all sorts of different uh, walks of life. And so diversifying ourselves as well helps to match the customers that we are serving as well. So it can't just be within network anymore. Everybody brings us a different set of views. I think the way that we have looked at it though, um, especially those who have strong technology backgrounds, um, are definitely welcome. But a lot of us have come from the service industry, even though that we work for big tech. Um, so finding those people who had that service background and has had to deal with people and the challenges of the day-to-day, that just enhances our product and our uh, ability to relate to our customers even better. No, that, that makes sense. And I can see that for sure. Because it's anytime, and I've, I've got a background in tech as well. It's like anytime you get a bunch of programmers or developers together, kind of a thing, they've got their mindset of, okay, what the outside world should be. And just because you're writing a product for the restaurant industry, or I, I did a lot in the, the wholesale uh grower kind of agriculture industry kind of things like if you don't have any experience in that industry you really haven't walked in their shoes and you're you're building something that may or may not fit their process may or may not fit the way they do things so it's it's that's a challenge and that's that's interesting that you bring in or can bring in people from that side yeah a lot of our customer support people a lot of our launch people and our sales people all have have probably more direct relationships with it as opposed to some engineers who are a little bit more removed but the part that has always been a cornerstone for us um, is to make sure that everybody across the company gets to a chance to engage with customers. And so I, I've been far uh, far too often part of the process where we all sat in a room and we did a whole bunch of whiteboarding with the additional PhDs and went, this would be great. And then you go and you launch it out in the market and be like, no, it was not great whatsoever. <laughs> um, and so it's extraordinarily important to get that feedback early so you can self-correct. Otherwise, you know that you're never going to build something that people will use. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the whole adage of build it and they'll come is just, no, it doesn't doesn't happen that way unless you get real lucky, but it doesn't happen that way. So what's been some of the, or have you seen challenges with going outside of your network and bringing in outside people in terms of making sure they're, they're the right fit, they're the right culture, they're the right stuff like that, whereas somebody that you've already got that background, that network with? Well, the other part we're very fortunate about, um, a couple of us have uh, adhered to the uh, old style of, um, of the process that we had uh, in our prior company in regards to how we interview, how we do group interviews, how we um, 
run the spectrum in regards to how we ask questions because it has to be a blend of um, of technical interviews as well as uh, culture and, and thought process and creativity in regards to it. So typically we do a five panel interview um, and it's five different people meeting over a period of time. And then we work through the process on a kind of a hiring committee kind of way. It removes that one person and we have the benefit of it because now we're uh, 50 people. So you can spread that across people fairly easily because interviewing is a laborious and a challenging element for a lot of places that are out there. And especially when you have to re rely on recruiting firms, we've been very fortunate as well. We have a lot of inbound traffic, so we don't have to only rely on recruiters. We use them for uh, being able to do resume reviews and stuff like that. But um, when we finally get it down to a point where we're just going to really focus on um, interviewing candidates, we handle that all in-house um, and through the process. It's a tried and true process. We, we've been, over our lifespan, we probably only have lost about three or four employees. People stay for a long period of time. Um, the ones that we have left have, have left, uh, had changes in life experiences where they want to go back to school or they want to do something else. So we feel like we've built a very good culture here in regards to that. And our process is really what speaks to it. So along those lines, how do you describe your culture? What, 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 what makes up culture from your side or your perspective there? Yeah, I know a lot of people sit there and talk about transparency is always going to be the key. And that's kind of the de facto one that you always go to. I always tend to look at it more in regards to uh, everybody has a level of ownership um, of what they do, but also understands that we come to work with a certain level of humility and you being a, a former tech person as well, you can understand how challenging that can be, especially with uh, high-end developers who can oftentimes come with an ego. Um, I think we are very good at being egoless because we put our customers first in everything that we do. And because of that, it really shuts down an awful lot of the typical politics and, and conversation that tends to drive it so that we can all move in the right direction and know who we're, we're servicing really at the end of the day and really feel that way. And I know that that sounds really pie in the sky, but it truly is. You could talk to anybody from our company and they're going to probably say the same thing. Oh no, I love what I do because I'm always feel like I have big impact and I actually can own what I'm doing. And I think that, that's really a bigger hallmark. I can kind of set vision and direction, but at that point in time, if I haven't done an effective job in, in conveying it, then me putting my foot down and saying, no, it's going to have to go this way, it doesn't really drive consensus and it really doesn't you know, buy into the hearts and the minds of anything. So you have to really push forward, communicate really well and effectively, have a reason for people to do it and then have them want to be able to do it. Uh, and then everything really tends to fall into place at that point. So really, it's a, a very collaborative environment. And I think that that's probably more so what COVID originally kind of destroyed because you have that energy in the office. But I think we've all really gotten good at uh, the remote meeting side of things and how we continue to engage on a daily basis. So that still builds that same level of teamwork and camaraderie. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it, it really is having that additional buy-in because if you're just there for the paycheck or things like that, you, that's where you see a lot more turnover typically at that point because somebody's going to come along and offer them five bucks more kind of a thing. But I I always go back to the the old story of, of JFK taking a, a tour through NASA late one night kind of a thing prior to the moon launch and comes across to janitor sitting there sweeping the floor and just being friendly, asking him what his name is, what he's doing kind of a thing there. And instead of saying, I'm sweeping the floor, I'm cleaning up after somebody, his, his response was, I'm helping put a man on the moon because he saw the bigger picture. He saw, okay, yes, my job is cleaning here, but I'm contributing to that bigger picture. So having that kind of buy-in and that kind of culture is, if I look at the companies that are really successful, really 
able to retain their people, really have their people bought in and moving forward. That's there's always some kind of sense of strong culture there that they're bought into some bigger, bigger picture, bigger mission at that point. And it's it's tough to. That's why I like asking the question is like, OK, how do you define your culture? Because a lot of people really can't answer that. It's it's they're they're all over the place. But at the same time, there's something there. They just don't have it. Don't have it tangible at that point. Yeah, I agree. Um, I it, it is so important for also to be able to play to people's strengths, because oftentimes we try to put people into certain boxes and say, you know, how how is it that you can be able to best do stuff for me, not necessarily in regards to what is it that you feel you're going to excel at? And that's an absolute change, because when people feel like they're put in a position that they can excel, things move much faster. Yeah. So have you, I'm curious, have you run into the issue with growing over time where you've had somebody in a role that basically the role moved beyond them kind of a thing? I look at it a lot of times where it's the the person originally that, yeah, I'm just handling the books. It's it's a part-time job, whatever. And now it's turned into a full accounts receivable department. And it's just, it, they never were an accountant. It's beyond their skill set kind of a thing. Has any of that shown up over the years? It happens on occasion. Um, I think because of the structure of how we hire people and how we evaluate them and the fact that we're still a growing company, um, we have the benefit of being able to open up other positions so that it makes sense to suit more suit their skill set at that point. So we haven't had to lose anybody. And everybody here has been extraordinarily bright and hardworking and so on that uh, you don't want to lose that talent and that passion that's still there. Um, so as we grow, we've been able to make sure that Sometimes we do have to move people out of certain roles, uh, but we still have other roles that they can absolutely do for us. And so thankfully um, we've been on that side of the equation. Am I deluded to think that we're not eventually ever gonna be there? Well, I'd like to believe that that's not the case because we'd always try to hire for the job that we wanna project them to be into two years from now, but sometimes you get it wrong. And I hope that I haven't, but sometimes you do. (laughs) Well, no, and still even that makes a lot of sense that it's that forward looking of we're not trying to just hire for a Java developer or something right now, it's, it's a bigger, we, we, and I think that's probably actually a draw on the hiring too, of saying, Hey, we're, we're looking at this for your long-term future as well. We're, we're not looking for just today. We want to help you grow as well. And I think that's a, another key characteristic of a company that's going to have successful or has had successful growth. Absolutely. So I'm and, curious from, go ahead. No. Well, and we've been also very fortunate because we've had, uh, especially on the engineering side, great mentors um, that uh, are, PhDs and have taught at university as well. So it's a great draw for junior developers to come on board so that they have a great pool to be able to, uh, to learn from. But even on our, uh, on our leadership side, we have some tremendous leaders and, and mentors so that we can be able to do this across the board in regards to not just engineering, but in terms of success and bringing on junior salespeople and having them grow as well. So I think that's part of the track record that helps you to continue to uh uh, to draw in talent from uh, various pools and not for us to have to go out and seek too far too much. Yeah. So talking about growing, obviously, in your position, I'm curious to kind of turn this back on you when you're talking about going from, from engineer to CEO. How is that transition over five or so years now? What, what does that look like or how has that worked? Or is that, I'm assuming, still a, a work in progress probably? It's going to be a work in progress. There are days where, yeah, I'm sure I frustrate the devs too. Uh, I will jump in and code just with everybody else. But the hard part with that is you can't take your eye off the rest of what happens in terms of the business. There's so much that's happening in terms of our marketplace right now. Um, 
in terms of competition and in terms of uh, just overall overarching vision of where I want to see us to be able to go. And sometimes it takes a lot more to be able to understand and articulate. I think the part that I still deal with on a daily basis, I'm an introvert by nature and I have to try to put on my extrovert hat and really have to think through things I'm going to say and how I'm going to motivate. And the the part that I still haven't learned is is the uh, celebrating any wins because I'm already on to what's next. Okay, that was great. We still have these other things to get done and people need to celebrate the wins. And we've had so many of them in, in the last five years and I don't spend the time to do it. And that can't always be motivating either. And so I, I'm going to still be work in progress in regards to a lot of this. <laughs> well, I was in, and I, I work a lot with, with kids, middle school, high school kind of a stuff. And it's like, okay, it's always a journey. It's always learning. There's always something new to, to continue growing with. And honestly, when you stop growing, when you stop learning, you're going to get left behind at that point. So yeah, that's that's honestly what I would expect from from any CEO, even though if this is fourth or fifth business, there's going to be, everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to bring new challenges. I think we talked about that beforehand kind of a thing. It did. There's always always a different tweak to it kind of a thing here. Just because you've been through the scenario before, it's, it's a little bit different this time. It is. And I think that the way that the parts that I realized it have been more difficult, especially in the last year. I was always out talking to our clients and, and that level of re- being removed. Um, that's kind of where I get my energy from. We always talk about, you know, where do certain people, uh, when they excel, where, where do they get the, the energy to be able to keep on going? And I'm kind of a depleted tank at this point because of COVID. We don't get to go out and uh, engage nearly as much as we used to, just so that part of it is you get great feedback in regards to how much they love our support and how much that they uh, love what we've done with the product. And we always are listening in, in that and trying to get that feedback through uh, mechanisms now doesn't necessarily happen. So it doesn't really top up the tank as well as the fact of, oh, well, that was an interesting problem. I would like to be able to go out and solve that. Because again, being an engineer, I like to go solve problems. <laughs> so having those conversations are a little bit more difficult. And I'm really looking forward to the, getting the other side because then hopefully I can recharge too. Yeah, so that's interesting. And then being there with the, the engineering side, that kind of background, are you the type of person that wants to go solve those business challenges your own? Or do you turn to other resources? Or have you figured out how to effectively coach the team to say, yes, you got a problem. You go solve it. You go figure it out. Don't let me always be the, the one to sit here and solve it for you kind of a thing there. How's, has that transition worked or is that still definitely a work in progress? Well, at some points in time, it is a work in progress, especially on the engineering side. I will tend to delve in, but I, I need to get better in regards to being more mentoring instead of uh, doing, uh, which I think is always a, a challenge at that point. I think from a business perspective, that's where I really kind of let loose of the reins because I really do trust the team. And so we will talk and discuss and try to figure out a collaborative way. It's never always on one person. It's like, well, let's think about this. And everybody brings a different type of, type of perspective to it. So um, that is a lot easier than I think on the engineers. I think they're the ones that are the most mad at me at any given time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, and that's, that's where I see it a lot is that all, most, most uh, CEOs, most business leaders have their lane of expertise right there. And that's the one you're, you're typically going to get into and then start diving a little bit deeper than maybe you should on a daily basis. Whereas the other areas, hey, sales is not my expertise or accounting is not my expertise. I'm glad to hand that stuff off, but I do like still getting down and writing code. And yeah. Been there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's always fun because the the companies I work with, the businesses I work with, if they're in the technology industry, I've got to sit there constantly, pull myself back, and say, okay, don't don't get in there and solve 
that bug tracking issue or that, that process issue or whatever there for them, they've got to learn how to grow and solve it. Whereas if I go into a accounting firm or something like that, it's like, that's not my background. That's not my expertise. It's a lot easier to, to stay at the top level and just kind of ask questions, let them solve it at that point. Cause it's, it's, where's your, where's your passion is at that point. Well, and I, I also benefit from the fact that with the leadership team that has been with me for, for so long, they, they pull no punches. <laughs> and so when they tell me <laughs> that I have to actually back off and let things happen, they'll let me know. And um, that's probably the bigger key is to make sure that you're surrounded with people that you do trust enough to be able to have them tell you that because there's part, we can go and have CEO coaches and a lot of other pieces. They're not there day to day. And so having you a really solid leadership team that can sit there and, and really provide some of the guidance sometimes that you're going to need because you need to hear the bad things too is really important. Yeah, no, and that's, that's a fun one because I always, I, I, I tend to work with the entire leadership team itself. And it's always, you can always tell when you're in the room with everybody there and you ask somebody a question. And the first thing they do is look at the CEO before they actually answer the question. It's like, okay, we've got problems here. If you've got to, if you've got to ask your CEO's permission before you can speak up, this is not a, a this is not an open, open, honest kind of trusting group here. So having that is, is really key because it's got to be, it's got to be discussion. There's going to be challenges in the business. You got to be able to discuss that hopefully internal to the team, but then come out with a, a single vision, a single direction for the rest of the company at that point. But yeah, it's, it's, you've got to have a collaborative group there for sure. Cause like you said, hopefully you don't have one expert. You, you've got everybody's bringing their own opinion or their own, their own expertise, their own background to it. Well, it's an interesting way that you actually portray that because I think that that's kind of the, the big hallmark that if I've learned anything over the last five years is that I'm not the person with all of the answers, even in regards to the technology wise, if you want to talk about where the vision is, where I'd like to be able to see us go and how we want to blend our consumer experience, that's, that's vision. That's not wisdom or experience. Whereas you need to sit there and really rely on people who do have the experience and wisdom in regards to that. I'm not going to be the end all be all as much as I would like to be to feed my own ego at times. That's not going to be that way. There's going to be other people who are in the room that are going to be smarter than you. Well, it's it's going to be, and honestly, I would encourage it. It's it's, it's the the saying or whatever. If you're in, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room at that point. Because if nothing else, nobody's ever going to challenge you. If you don't get challenged, you're not going to grow personally or in business or anything else that way. So you've got to have that that challenge and that push, because otherwise, we get complacent. We know everything, and it's we're all good at that point. And that's when you stop learning. <laughs> Well, and that's why when we do meetings, everybody knows that I'll come to this. I, if I, if I made a mistake, I'll be the first one to fess up to the mistake because it starts at the top too, right? Um, people need to hear that as well, that I'm just as fallible as any other individual that is here. So, yeah. So talking about vision and stuff like that, what, what do you see as the next five years, the, the longer term, what kind of bigger things are you working for, working towards from a, a company standpoint? Well, I think what part of what has always kind of plagued the point of sale industry is this idea and notion that it's only just order and pay, but there's so much more that goes into the management of the establishment. And this isn't just talking about inventory management or so on. It's also in regards to customer engagement, how they engage with you, how you end up building loyalty. There's a term that uh, my board member, Ray Decker, uses, and it's so fantastic. Uh, over and over that is uh, called contagious loyalist and how you build contagious loyalists. Now the craft industry should have this baked in. As soon as you bring somebody in, it's like, taste this for the first time. And you're like, now I'm going to go to my local liquor store. I'm going to buy it because of the fact that it's there, which is great. But you want to figure out how you're going to replicate that eventually in other mediums too. How do you build contagious loyalists? Because just 
me giving you a free item, that's just me giving you a free item, but me turning you into somebody who's going to advocate for my brand and go somewhere else and tell somebody else about it is much bigger. And so a lot of the things that now we have built um, the base in regards to how we want to engage in service and hospitality uh, will help to propel us into this. And to me, hospitality and, and service is not about replacing you with tech. I've oftentimes said that my job as a technologist is not to replace your job. It's to make you more effective at your job at times um, and give you all the information you need to be able to do that, but it's not to replace you. And so as I continue to do that, if I can help you have the tools to make contagious loyalists, then I've done my job. Yeah, that was that was a lot of times I saw again in, in the tech industry or whatever, is it's like it's tech is not meant to be the replacement. It's not meant to be, honestly, the end-all solution kind of a thing there. Tech just makes you more efficient, more productive, more enhances whatever's underneath it. So it's, yeah, nice to hear you say that kind of a thing because it's too many people look at tech as being, okay, this is going to be the end solution for everything. It's like, no, this is just a, this is just an enhancement of hopefully whatever's there. If you've got, like you said, you've got great customer service, we're just providing you with more knowledge, more information, more tools to make that even greater, hopefully. But if you don't have customer service, we're not a replacement for that. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's going to be interesting as we come out of COVID because there's been an awful lot of um, shift towards, well, I don't have the staff to be able to do that, but I think what's going to end up happening if it does truly start looking like the roaring twenties, when people can finally get out and about uh, the differentiator is going to be, well, I could go to that place and all they do is they set down the beer versus if I go over to that place, it feels like cheers. And so I'm going to go to there. Yeah. And so building that environment and making sure to maintain that environment is really going to be important. Well, and, and that's where it really comes down to. It's it's the experience. It's like people don't necessarily buy products. They, they buy experiences at that point. So, yes, you may be serving the same beer on both sides, but the, the experience over here, the environment over here is much better. I'm going to go back to that place, even though I can get the same thing or maybe I can even get it cheaper at the other place. But still, I'm getting that that experience there. So you got to build the experience around whatever product, whatever service there, because otherwise it's just a commodity at that point. Well, and to me, the reason why we have focused on the vertical of craft for so long is because of the fact that it is the influencer, it feels like for a lot of other places. Um, I think the other places in hospitality are looking inward and saying, they've really kind of figured out something because even during this period, they've continued to drive back their customers. Even when people have uh, had to move to online stores and delivery. People are still frequenting local breweries to be able to pick those things up. And so I think there's an awful lot of introspection uh, in other portions of the industry that are kind of going, huh, they're doing something right. I've got to mimic that. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that coming out of, out of COVID. I wouldn't be surprised because, yeah, that's that's one of those kind of niche industries, like you said, that it's, it's got its following for sure. But yeah, it, it does things a little bit different. So it'll be it'll be curious to see what's coming out for sure. Yeah. So always like kind of wrapping things up or coming back with, with a, a standard question kind of here to say, if you were to look back five years ago in your case now or, or longer, whatever, to say, hey, if I had just done X earlier, if I had just tried this before or whatever, does, can you come up with any one or two things without a whole book there? <laughs> um, I have two. And uh, the first one is it is really important to choose your partners early on well. Um, we have to rely, especially in our early days as a business, um, on external sources. You can't do, you can't be everything for everybody. When you make a bad decision, it can set you back for a while. And so I know in our early days, um, we were looking at payment processing relationships because we are kind of the gateway of record now. At that point, 
we had to rely on external sources and we made some bad decisions and it was pretty crippling to the business. It could have, could have actually halted everything that we were doing. And so um, looking at that, and there's been other places where we've gotten really, we've honed how we do our evaluation of partners because we truly honestly believe that they are. We don't just open up our APIs and let anybody integrate into us. We want them to believe in our vision and, and the direction and have the same uh, same kind of core values in regards to it. Um, so that's refined over time. So thankfully it didn't destroy us, but it was a mistake early on that we needed to actually look at. Um, and I think that the second tier to it, um, when you are an engineer and you are so conservative by nature, I shackled us, I think for the first year, we probably could have been out selling far faster, but I wanted perfection. And um, that's, that's the innovator's bane right there. You have this idea and you want it just to be that when you finally get it out. And uh, I really probably stunted our growth probably for the, the better part of the first year to two years. We could have probably done a lot more faster at that point. Yeah, I, I, I know that one personally as well. But yeah, I've heard from several other people. It's like, okay, just get started. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be perfect out of the gate. Just, just get started, get something out there. Because if nothing else, it kind of goes back to what you were talking earlier about validating your approach that, okay, if you spend all the resources, everything to make the product perfect, and then you put it out and, well, nobody wants it, then you could have course corrected, course adjusted a lot earlier here, probably a lot cheaper there if you'd gotten something started and something out quicker. Yep, absolutely. So appreciate the time with it. If people are more interested, if people are interested in learning more about you or about Arrived there, where's the, where's the best place to go find some more information here? Just www.arrived.com. And it's A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com. So yeah, we'll right. get it We'll get it listed below. I bet you get questions on that one all the time. I, it took me a few minutes to look at that. I was like, okay, how are we going to pronounce this one? Well, we would have taken the I, but the I was a, a $10,000 DNS buy. And we were like, eh, never mind. We'll, we'll be more creative. <laughs> Creativity is great, yeah. But it's it's fairly simple there. I, once you sound it out right, it's, it's right there. But yeah, it's, I bet you get, get, get questions on it quite often. But I appreciate the time this morning. Appreciate the wisdom. I, I enjoyed the conversation there. Thank you very much, Jeff. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.